Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the High Performance Director of Philadelphia Union, Maximilian Lankite. Max, a big welcome to the show. Thanks for the invite, I really appreciate it. Max, as we begin with every guest that comes on the show, could you please take us through your earliest football memory? Um, football stadium uh, um, experience or football experience in and itself? I would say a football experience in and of itself. All right. Um, I thought about this because I knew that the question was coming up, right? So I think my earliest football experience was, um, I think it was five. Might have been six, but I think it was five. Um, and um, friends of mine already played in the local soccer club or football club. And... Um, I wanted to join, so I joined in for that one session, but I was so bad that they immediately put me in goal. So that's um, that's my experience, and now you know how how I ended up maybe not being the best football player there could be. Yeah, well, I, w- I would say your career has had a few more highs than lows since then. <laughs> maybe exactly, you find your path, right? But I it was it was obviously gut wrenching that I I was put in goal. But it, it's all right, you know. You manage, you manage. You're still a child, so you find you find different ways. It was still fun, you know. So, but but yeah, it was it was interesting to say the least. I could feel the difference between me and the others. Let me put it that way. So I understand. Remarkable always, isn't it? Though the intuition of a child. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it brings me nicely into this next point. I mean. Just even looking at your LinkedIn in preparation for this, I mean, you've worked at a host of clubs in the likes of Nuremberg, St. Pauli, San Jose Earthquakes, even had a stint at the San Francisco Giants in baseball. Now you're Philadelphia Union. I mean, it's been quite the remarkable rise considering you were just an SNC coach in 2018. And then four years later at San Jose, you became director of high performance. So, I mean, obviously you're director of high performance in this current role today at Philadelphia Union. My question is, I mean, along this path, Max, what has been the toughest thing you've done to get where you are today? It's a very good question. The toughest thing. I'm not sure if if it's fair to say that there's one tough thing, right? You always rise to the occasion, I think. Um, at least that's the goal. So the the next the next thing might always be the toughest thing, right? Just because based on your past experience, you're going to go out and manage this. So this is per definition harder than it was before. You could look at it from that perspective. Um, what, I, what I'll what i say though is, now that you mentioned all of this, I think what what um, needs to be said is that I, I, I started in this whole, you know, strength and conditioning world, like, back in 2006 and then i had my my uh, own own and sports performance facility or founded that in 2011 so um i just essentially engaged in professional uh football or sports in in 2020 um well 14 if you will and with St. Pauli to an extent um but full time essentially on a first team level but it was what you mentioned in 20, 2017 so so i guess there's a big there's a big learning um, stint of of ten years before that, which which doesn't necessarily reflect obviously on on you know each CV if you will. So I think 
from that perspective, what looks like a very short journey has a big foundation, what I've done the 10 years before. And, and, um, but speaking of the, of the toughest challenge now, just in this time frame that you mentioned 2017 or 2018 until, until now, I think, um, the toughest challenge always comes from, from coming into a new club or new organization where you don't know anything about the context really. Right. So it's, it's not necessarily tougher um, or more tough. It's just a different kind of tough because every context is different. So you need to shift your focus on different things, right? So maybe in one organization, your the toughest thing is to adapt to the culture, which is so different. Let's say, for example, me coming from professional football, going into professional baseball, it's kind of, it's a complete different culture. So maybe it wasn't as challenging in the first um, you know, instance uh, from a applied science perspective, if you will, but it was kind of like, all right, I'm the, you know, outsider here. I have no idea, you know, um, of the baseball culture. So, but how do I now adapt to that while at the same time, you know, um, trying to implement my philosophy? So that's tough in a, in a way, but then if you come, um, for example, now to to Philadelphia, like you come to an organization that's, highly successful that has been the most successful football club in in this country for the past four years if you accumulate um the results and and points and and, and whatnot so there you come into something where you're like all right now the challenge is how do i potentially guide positive change without um forgetting a, a the acknowledgement of how people got there right so that is that is i think a very tough challenge in itself because you can never argue with success right um so and i think this is like a, a very very different challenge i think and and i'm glad that i'm i haven't had to experience that 5 years ago because i think then i would have potentially lacked the ability to understand um what i just described right you just come in like oh cool this is my philosophy let's just you know do it in a certain way um because i know football i've done this so i do this no um now it's more like all right you guys have done an, a terrific job so how now can we combine uh forces right i think that's a that's a tough challenge if, if you will in itself as well so two different um perspectives with every i think every challenge is tough in itself yeah, so eye-opening that answer you gave, Max, because I'm just writing down notes here. You know, you're saying, what's next? You know, the relentless nature of sport. I don't know if you're familiar with the business mogul. He's also quite good on social media, Alex Ramosi. And I think he says it best when he speaks about, you know, you don't win at the game. You don't win at marriage. It's not a game. Like, you win by, it continues. You don't win at business. You know, the longevity of the business in is in of the success and in of itself. So it's something I've been playing around with quite recently. A lot, actually, this nature of high performance. High performance is a verb. It's living and it's breeding. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, high performance is also a buzzword, to be mm. to be fair. Right. So so to an to an extent. You know, what is what is high performance yeah like at which level becomes superior performance high performance right for example so it's it's i think it's it's tough to say it's the same it's it's 
high performance is, I guess, a mindset more than it is an action, like more than it is a, a, a verb, right? High performance comes from, from, you know, structure and people and, and getting them pull in one direction because everybody is following the same, the same vision, right? Or, or, or is, is believing the same vision and then agrees to the same mission. So I think, um, and by doing that, reducing friction. So, so I think it's tough to say high performance is, is a verb for me. I think high performance is, do I think um, in that fashion that we are better than me, right? It's, it's when you put together a group, for example, when, you know, in, in, a, in a position like mine, where we have the, the, the privilege and the opportunity to, to um, you know, bring experts in and bring different individuals in to, to combine them, you know, into one group. It's not about, I don't necessarily need the best practitioner in each position, right? But as a group, we need to be the best. And I think that is what, what high performance essentially is. Like one person in itself, I guess, if you're not an athlete, right? I think you can't be um, high performance, right? I, I think because it always yeah. takes more. It always takes more, even behind each athlete, um, even in an individual sport, right? High performance comes from potentially the private life behind it, right? A supporting wife, that understands um, or husband um, that understands what's what's going on, right? And 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 has the back, private chef, whatever it is that people have. But you know, people just see the result, I guess. But high performance comes again. And now I finished this. Comes from I think the mindset of of it can't be done alone. Yeah, I guess that's really good. That's really insightful too. Because I don't even think it's necessarily just a mindset. I think it's a skill set too, Max. Because I would link it back to your own journey is you spoke there about high performance. What is it? Well, is it superior performance? Is it better performance than? So then we're already taking into consideration, right? What is the standard here? What is the mean necessarily that we're going up against? And as you spoke about there, you're so glad that you had all these different experiences before joining the Philadelphia Union. Well, that's because all those experiences enabled you to acquire a certain skill set that you would be able to best utilize going forward enable you to be the practitioner with the tool so there's something there about just being embedded in reality and that's the piece i want to speak about because the reality was your football journey the way it begun at st Pauli. you know hearing you on different podcasts speaking about it the early days there i mean could you take the audience through how you begun to become impactful within the club without having necessarily the best or the most resources available there yeah <laughs> I still look back to those days. It was it was so much fun because of the fact that you don't have any resource. I guess it comes from the it comes from the yeah resourcefulness and trying to to be creative. I guess that's where also high performance comes from, trying to find new ways and not being afraid of trying something and then failing. Um, because you learn from those mistakes. Again, I even today I make more mistakes um, than I want to admit. Half of them I'm not even aware of which is, I guess, human nature. So which is why I need the people, you know, around me to tell me that I'm full of shit. Um, so, so am I allowed to curse on the podcast? Um, so, so I guess coming back to your question in, in um, St. Pauli or Hamburg, right? 
I think one thing that you recognize quickly when you arrive, there was like, there's one big training field and you have like four or five academy teams training there at the same time. And yet they are able to produce that high level talent um, back back in the days. And, and, you know, the most prominent one is, is obviously clearly uh, Yusufa Mukoku. And, and you're like, okay. So one thing is then that you have to be lucky to have certain individuals, obviously. But on the other hand, what you're trying to find out is with what I'm given, because you always have to play the cards that you're dealt. So, you know, so in in what I've been given, what can I do to be most impactful? To use your word as well, right? So, all right, but instead of instead of complaining that I have, you know, like a, a two halves of one med ball because it's so old and so broken. You know, you're like, that's awesome. So instead of a 10-pound med ball, I have two half-pound med balls. At least people can carry a weight on each, each side of their body, right? So you're like, all right, so what can I do with this instead? So you kind of like think about how, what can I do without having anything, right? And then you you get creative and actually use humans as, as some sort of resistance and so on. So, or use, um, you know, like benches and, 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 and so on. So I think... The impactfulness comes from the creativity and from the philosophy you have, right? So back then it was clear, like already, like I'm, I am very movement. I have a very movement-based philosophy. So meaning, like I don't necessarily need the heavy weights. And luckily enough, obviously, when you are in charge of a U12 to to U15 or U16 level, you know, you get away with body weight or just a slightly higher. Um, you know, resistance than than your body weight than if you have two half med balls, for example, right? So you find ways. How can I now build the foundation through movement patterns, through you know circuits that people that uh, young kids get exposed to different movement? Um, you know, maybe side shuffle, maybe crawling, maybe jumping, right? One leg versus two legs. Um, then you go into the different vectors: vertical versus horizontal versus lateral, and so on. So you kind of like expose them to all these different things: throwing versus rolling, and so like all of that stuff that creates that fun environment. But you're actually staying true to what you want to do, which is a movement-based philosophy, and you're helping with something that otherwise they wouldn't get. Now, if you have all the tools, you could argue, or other resources, you could argue, would I have done the same? Maybe but maybe I would have done something else. So maybe I would have developed different qualities in those players. So who's to say it's better or worse, but in that regard, at least I did what I can do with what um, I had available. And I think what, what the main factor there was because of the way we did it then and the lack of resources, and that concludes, I guess, my monologuish answer, is that we always had fun. Like when I left St. Pauli, the captain of the U15s, and it's I remember that vividly. Um, when they, when they, you know, when there was a little, uh, oh, Max is leaving and whatnot. They're like, in the in the circle, uh, he said, like you showed us across the last few years that um, strength and conditioning can be fun, and that was something that that resonated with me so much because that's what I could do. I could show them. I could lay the foundation. And go like, all right, SNC is not something that's you know, bothering or hindering football performance, right? It's actually fun. So in the future, when they go, they are always open-minded towards that. Even if somebody else does something different in a different club or, you know, my success or whatever it is. And I think 
that's what I could do. That was the biggest impact that I have is like creating the mindset of this is something that's fun and that's helpful at the same time. So that's the short answer with the big monologue ahead, which you can cut as much as you want to, by the way. No, no, look, context is key, isn't it, Max? You know more than most, but it's very interesting for me to hear these very creative solutions in your early days. So I'm wondering, in subsequent roles, have you managed to retain that sense of creativity and cultivate it with increasing and better resources? Good question. I would I would like to think so, right? However, you don't know what you don't know. So I think this is the beauty about being young as well. Like you don't know what's wrong. So you just go for it, right? You, you, don't, you don't overthink it. Like I don't overthink something if I'm working with a 14 year old, right? You just go by Mills Law and like first do no harm. Okay, this doesn't hurt the person. So let's just do it, you know? But now the, the more professional you get as in like your clientele, um players athletes whatever right you all of a sudden deal with people with who an organization for example in baseball who an organization paid 50 million for or another person who gets 54 million a year so now you need to be mindful about different aspects of it not only perception of that individual as well and the open-mindedness and mindset of the individual but also how do you implement things and in which let's say speed or cadence because now it's not only about not hurting them but also about making sure that they can perform at the highest level because they get paid so much so they are um they're expected to perform at a certain level right and you work with a u13 u14 you can be creative because if they're more sore on saturday you know all right okay then you lose that game four three instead of you know tying it three three or whatever in in a in a u14 but but now when it comes to that amount of money that we're dealing with because sport is a business at the end of the day right it's in the payment industry so now i need to be mindful about okay if we lose that game or a playoff game in baseball right okay that means x amount of you know dollar less revenue because there's not another series whatever in baseball for example so it's potentially three games that um the organization doesn't make money from concession, from ticket sales and so on, from sponsorship. So now you need to be mindful about, about creativity. Do I, do I still have the mindset of, I want to try new things? 100% do I do? Yes. But am I now really potentially particular on when versus just doing it? I think that's the difference. So now I'm really deliberately and going like, that's, Let's try this, but what is a good time? Okay, in two weeks might be the right time versus let's just do it tonight. I guess mm-hmm. that's the main main difference, man. Again, you know, naturally so from working with a 14-year-old athlete there to the $50 million a year athlete, I mean, how do such two drastic test groups, how does working amongst them influence your leadership style you mean like my leadership style that i have with the the young athletes versus the the professional athlete i would no i would say the culmination of both from working between both age Ah, ranges and obviously everything else in between how is that all subsequently influenced the way you lead 
That's a loaded question. Um, I think it's one of these things that that you reflect on, but you potentially see the result, but not necessarily have a, a direct kind of like, oh, this like point in time, we got like this changed, me now doing doing that. Or maybe I'm even wrong here. I guess what it does, you see, you see across all of these things, you see patterns, right? You see patterns and the more experience you get, the as in any skill sport, by the way, if you're a coach as well, the longer you do it, the better your pattern recognition becomes. So if I look at, so if I look at a, a let's say a player run, if I look at the player versus you know whatever one of our fellows who's whose first job that is right now in applied S and C. If I wouldn't see more like to correct in this person running than him or her, right? Then something would be wrong. And I think the same thing is with leadership. So you, because of the amount of like just pure experience and years, you see things and then you recognize things potentially that then go like, okay, this is what this situation requires, right? When people talk about transformational leadership versus transactional leadership versus democratic leadership and so on, you can go on and on. There's so many different styles, but at the end of the day, and and I think Jurgen Klopp said that in an interview, I'm not sure how many years ago, he said like the only true leadership is situational leadership because you 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 lead in a situation. You don't necessarily lead transformational all the time. It's it's the accumulation of a situation of different situations that then make you know your style perceived as transformational. But it's essentially you only look at a situation in separate instances with the experience of a situation before potentially. But you don't go in and say like, you know, my leadership style is transformational because it might require in one situation different styles with different people because you're dealing with five people at the same time. Okay, for this person, you might now approach, this is what you say to him, but this is what you say to her and so on. So I think that's why I agree with that quote. I think my my leadership style has become much more situational versus, oh, I want to you know, be this and that. I want those guys to take take this and that away from it. I think I'm 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 being present. Presence is the number one key for leadership um, and, and self-awareness, I would say. Very intriguing because that dovetails nicely with my next point. I was listening to you on a Pacey Performance podcast before and you spoke about the difference between leadership and management on it. And I found one particular quote really, really interesting says leaders don't have to be good managers but managers have to be good leaders could you explain that um i'll try i'll try um uh, first of all thanks for listening to all of those podcasts of mine in the past i mean holy moly um there was a lot of bad content out there as well that i shared so i i take everything not everything but you know again you live you learn so um but to answer your question so I think there's there was an article right now actually quite new on on McKinsey as well and it's it's it highlights the importance of middle managers. So um, and 
I'm also in, in right now for my for my dissertation. I I've also had the opportunity to interview a lot of CEOs and, and sporting directors of, of football clubs around the world, and and one thing that comes up is like the importance of those middle managers. Um, as in like, okay, as a CEO, as one director, you have a certain strategy, you follow a certain, you know, this is this is what we want to accomplish, right? Three, five, whatever, 10-year plans. Um, this is the result we want to have in, in the end. But but essentially the implementation is is where it comes in, right? So as a leader, you you set the tone, you set the vision. So you tell or share where we want to go, right? Which which in itself takes obviously the you have to be inspirational, right? In order to have people to follow and buy in into your vision and into what you want to accomplish and into the strategy and may even be cost cutting, right? So you still need to create the narrative around it that your middle managers understand why cost cutting is important. So now, but nobody, let's use this as an example, right? Nobody wants to earn less money, right? So now you have to have those middle managers that now need to manage the fact that they need to save money on the one hand, right? So it's kind of purely results-based, purely outcome-based. So, because there's a clear number, have you spent less than before? You know, break it down to just, you know, some, some theoretical framework here. But at the same time, now they need to, on a day-to-day -day basis, need to lead their subordinates and direct reports, need to lead to not only buy-in, but also to understand um, them to hear them out because they will critique right which is rightly so for certain things yeah but I need this in order to my do my job better so now you need to navigate and go like all right I understand what you're saying but you know like we still need to keep track of the overall goal which is in that case cost cutting so I think this requires not only like the management component which is managing the budget in itself Right? Because your CEO can't manage 16 different budgets from, you know, whatever, uh, 14 different departments. Um, but as the, as the manager, you have to, you know, do that and at the same time manage the people. So make sure that they um, kind of like bring the results in their specific domain that you want in order to then achieve that cost cutting effect, to use that example. So this is very it is very difficult, I guess, or, or very like going into very much detail. We can elaborate on that, but to answer your question in one one sentence. So as the leader, you you set where you want to go and the manager helps to portray the message on how to get there, right? But now, so that's a twofold thing. You need to tell the people and need to get people bring on board on what the vision is. So where to go, because you communicate that. And on the other hand, now you're also responsible for the results on how to get there versus the, the leader and overall arching theme of things, right? Is just making sure that the ship is continuing to go and and um, and looking into what is going on with the uh, um, competition, right? What is going on um, macroeconomically, for example, and so on. Um, so that's, I think the biggest, the biggest difference there is, is the day-to-day -day action. Um, and the day-to-day -day miniature details that are changing, right? I think. And I mean, self-admittedly, you said one of your biggest areas for growth was, in fact, that piece there, situational leadership. And linking back into that, Max, you know, of course, the environment is very important in determining whether or not any individual maximizes their potential. Of course, you're in Philadelphia Union at the moment, which has a renowned culture for learning and growth. 
Sorry, can you repeat that? Kind of yeah, no, life. no, we're speaking about situational leadership and, you know, of course, any environment, of course, the environment is very, very important in determining whether or not one's potential is maximized. I'm speaking about, I'm referring to where you were at this present day in Philadelphia Union. There's no better place, really. There seems to be in MLS or few and fair between that have better cultures for learning and growth. Yeah, look, I mean, that's like like I said earlier, it's 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 the mindset and reminding what this what this organization is is built on, right? So it comes down again to that to that, you know, vision, mission, values, right? From our ownership, one of the values is innovation, right? So doing things differently. Um because we it's everybody knows that you know we're at the bottom of of or um you know spending. Right. So in order to make sure that you still are able to perform at the top, you know, third, although you're spending in the in the final or, or last third, you need to have um, you know, the capacity to to do things differently. You need to be able to create an environment where people are trying and are not afraid of of you know doing things differently. And and you can do that by also reminding as in like, okay, this is one of our values. So if then you can break it down from that. Um, as in like, all right, it's your obligation to do that. So don't be afraid if it doesn't work because I can always in my message then managing upwards. So I can always like, this person was just doing what literally our owner put in as a value for this organization. So don't punish that person, right? Um, because he or she is actually doing what we're set out to do, right? Um, and I think that's, that's how you can, I wouldn't say manipulate the environment, but this is what the environment is built on. So you always, as long as there's there's clear values in place, as long as there's a clear mission in place, I think nobody can be wrong as long as you stay true to either of those. And that's the type of environment where you, where you know innovation in this case thrives, right? Whatever your values are, um, and and I think it's it's this constant reminder of like how do we now um how do we now translate that specific value into our work right and in regards of sports science, it's pretty easy right you try new things or in regards of strength conditioning you know instead of stupid example instead of jumping with two feet now we're just going to do balance you know and see what the result is um so is there a difference and whatnot so i think that's that's something in other departments it might not be as easy as that or not as easy as to comprehend but but i think that's i would answer it like that so it's it's how can you break it down the the the, the values into your or translate it into what you are doing in your specific environment and then encouraging the people to keep that in mind in the back of their heads always very interesting because it echoes nicely with a previous conversation i had with des ryan formerly of arsenal and now satanta college um, you know, speaking with Des and to the extent of which the vision and the mission was reinforced in Arsenal on a daily basis was extraordinary, really. And it was amazing to me how widely they distributed the skin in the game piece. So it wasn't necessarily just reinforcing that every day to the owners in terms of values, in terms of actions, in terms of decision making. But that also informed the parents, that also informed the interns. Yeah. new staff members and it was all with the case of coming back to how were we producing strong young gunners which i thought was pretty neat yeah i mean he he's obviously on the top of 
top of the game. I mean, his his record, you know, speaks himself. Speaking of people that are worth listening to, and and you know, everybody just just sit down when he starts talking and just you know keep their mouth shut and trying to write everything down. That's that's how much wisdom he obviously has to share. So I'm far I'm far away from from that. Um, but he's he's hundred percent right. I mean. The, it's it's the constant communication that comes into play. Like, okay, why are we doing this? If if the question comes up, okay, tell me why is this something that you want to do? And to to his point that you described this, okay, what is our goal? But what is our other value? Our other value is player development, right? So you go like, all right, does this what you want to do new? Now taking what you said earlier with the innovation environment, does that help us to create more talent? Right? Does it help us to either shorten the time frame, right, or the talent gets even stronger, right? So I think he, he's and and this is the communist, uh, like you said, the, the the constant communication with the people around it. Like I'm I'm sitting down with with you know parents of of um, yeah academy kids of ours and explain them the path as well, because yes, this communication is key because we say like okay, your kid may come home in the next whatever four weeks totally am tired and whatnot so don't you know put too much pressure on him or it's like don't ask too much i'm being very simplistic here right but um, my point is like because we're doing this and this and this with the kid it takes a huge toll so be mindful about that so and then they understand and then they get the support at home and that gets the bind from the player again as well because obviously he knows okay they know so i can be um you know safe i don't need to hide that i'm tired um, and, and these types of things. So, and they come back to us with the story. Actually, it wasn't too bad, or he was very focused. And we can like, okay, cool. That helps us then also to reinforce certain other things, or, or um, you know, complement that um, that individual thing. We're like, hey, you, you did fantastic. Um, you know, let's take the next step now in your journey. Um, so it's it's great intel from from Des there. And I mean, we touched upon it earlier on again, Max, but. An environment like where you are now at Philadelphia Union, which is already thriving, you know, it has a lofty aim, lofty ambition of being the best performance department in US sport. I mean, how do you begin even to iterate and build upon its previous success? Yeah, I guess it come, brings us back to the mindset, right? I mean, this is the difference between a vision and a mission as well, um, to an extent. So, you know, vision essentially never ends, right? So what is what is the best sports performance department, right? Was it, I guess at the end of the day, you couldn't define it. You have an idea, but then somebody else, whatever, you know, has a different idea. So you could, you could say like, it's the amount of, I don't know, speaking on, in football terms, the amount of transfer value, you know, homegrown players, you know, uh, um, generate over the span of, you know, a certain time frame, whatever, or is it's the amount of, you know, total distance they run, whatever it is. So I'm saying like, this is very, in a, in a way subjective. So we obviously um, put some, some more, some more markers on there. It's, it's, it's trying to become the best sports performance, but we have a certain, what I said earlier, certain um, uh, qualitative, you know, measurements in there or qualitative things that we want to accomplish. And these are based on number one, our values, but also our philosophy. So I think that's that's where you start. You're trying to break it down into 
into actions and into results, into measurements, right? So one thing is look at it from an objective perspective. So we're trying to be the best sports performance department in, in US sport, right? So now um, you say this and kind of like, okay, what defines it to my point, right? Okay, like, okay, for you, that defines they need to, um, you know, they need to um, produce the best staff. So our staff, when they leave us, they all should be in 10 years time, whoever was interned with us is now a director. You could argue like this is a good measurement because that means we develop those leaders and these type of qualities that you need in order to, to then spread you know, um, the, the competence, if you will, right? Or is it, yeah, we want to create the biggest, strongest, fastest, whatever it is, um, athletes out there. Um, or it's the amount of output of Philadelphia Union players that play in, in professional sport, right? So there's a measurement in, in Europe, for example, right? Every year that comes out, how many academy kids of clubs are playing first division um, football in, in the European leagues, right? And you have like, Clubs like whatever, um, you know, Bilbao or or Santander now being being really high up there, or Porto, Lisbon, right? So you go like, all right, that is a measurement. Maybe that's what it is because you develop those guys who, which in regards of his sports performance, but it's just one aspect. So we have qualitative, without going into details, but we have qualitative, um, like let's say, um, what's the right word there? I'm trying to find find it. Um, qualitative measurements, I guess, how we say, like, this is what we define as, you know, if they have this and this and this, then we think we're doing a good job. So now, if these and th this and this, this is the metric, right? Okay, now let's put put a measurement on top of that, meaning like, okay, let's say it's speed. If we want speed, all right, then whatever, random example, right? Then 10 meters per second max velocity is how we define. If we have you know, all of our players can achieve that. Then we go like, okay, from a speed perspective, we are the best sports performance department in US sport, right? Random example. I'm not saying that's what we're what we're out there to do, but I think it's this breaking down as in like, this is overall what we want to do as a vision. And our mission is then to create, you know, resilient, strong leaders on the field, right? So could, now we can break down, okay, how can we now influence um, resiliency, strength, and um, leadership all right so now we go who's responsible is it to create leaders all of us how do we define leadership well we define it through you know staying true to the values we have so we reinforce all of those values every single day so it's about for us the essentially the linearity of breaking down what you want into different capacities and then you break it down further and then you can go like okay whose responsibility is that all of us in that case with leadership, right? How do we enforce that with our standards? What are our standards based on? Our standards are based on our values and so on. And then you can do the same thing with, you know, strength and power and speed qualities because we're talking about strength and conditioning, right? But, all right, so we want resilient players. What, what is resiliency based on? Resiliency is based on, you can just repeat your top performance, you know, every single time when you think about physical um, or physiological resiliency, right? Okay, now psychological resiliency, hmm, is that covered by leadership? Maybe, but also what else would it be? And then that's kind of like how we try to break that down. And then once you have that linearity in those different things, now you can adapt to the individual that you're dealing with. Kind of like, oh, this person needs more of this versus this person needs a little bit dialed down here, but a dial up there, right? 
And then as a group, you audit all the time, right? We discuss and okay, have we done what went well, what didn't go well? You know, a rule that I learned from from Nick Winkleman back in the days, as you um, obviously um, well uh, know very well now, because obviously he's in he's in Ireland at the at the rugby um, union. So my point is, it's the it's the he. He came up, I'm not sure if he came up with a concept, but I learned it from him back in the days when um, it was a two plus two rule. So every time after every session, you go like two things that went well and two things that didn't go well. Go like, all right. And then you kind of like put it into context, what you just mentioned is an okay, if we think about two things that went well in regards of our mission, right? Okay, that is based on resiliency, strength, you know, leadership. I'm oversimplifying now, but okay. In terms of leadership, two things that went well today. Okay, we had group cohesion and we had a, a fight between players and the players were able to, you know, without us stepping in, were able to hash it out. Boom, and they shook hands. Type of leadership, you know. Um, so so we come up with, with these little um, things that we didn't observe, but we're trying to create that awareness that we're always constantly having these in our minds and always observing the situation that's in front of us or literally in front of us that we always are able to manifest, okay, is this something now that helps or doesn't help us to become um, the uh, best sports performance department in the country, right? And you can always argue what is best because it's a definition thing. But um, I think you know what's good when you see it, I suppose, right? It's, it's one of these things, you know that somebody's fast when you see him run, you know that somebody's moving well when you see him play, you know? You don't have to be a rocket scientist. I guess when Neymar was, 14 and you see him play like even myself who is everything but a scout right could potentially see that this will be an outstanding football player right so we have a good sense as humans i think we we recognize what's good and what's bad there's a lot in between and how good is good that's a different conversation but i think it helps us this constant awareness this constant reinforcement this constant um thinking about what did we define as best or as superior or as premier um for us that helps us then to be really quick and like okay i need to step in now or i need to back down okay this person needs the dial up versus the dial down and so on that got interesting so so important and like i'm wondering in your current capacity obviously you're on the front line at the moment. You're working at Philadelphia Union. You're also doing some cutting edge research at the moment. I mean, what is your gut instinct telling you about the future of that position in which you embody? Do you see the roles? Do you see the responsibilities changing widely? Do you perhaps see a more apt kind of term for the role itself? Well, I guess it, I can't speak for the future, right? Nobody knows um, what. And every organization, coming back to what you what you alluded to, and throughout the conversation here is is um, is contextual, based on the environment. So, which means you learn what potentially could work better, right? So, and from my position, that that would, and this is random. Um, it could mean okay, would I have to? step away more from the day-to-day -day business right to do more x because as a whole we would benefit from that more or it could be the opposite but right? it's it's trying to find out this is what i i guess it's a good 
good um, uh, 360 loop. Now, what I alluded to at the very beginning, it's 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 not so much about me than it is about how can we manage that everybody's best helps the organization the most. So how can we create as a group the most value to achieve our common goal, which could be you know winning a title, for example, right? Um, so I think then based on that, you think about, okay, these are the people available or these are the people in our organization. They're all very, very good, but maybe you have the right person in the wrong seat. You go, okay, maybe I need to shift that person over there because then we embrace you know, um, the person's full capacity. So it's more so, I think, when you think about, I can't remember who I had the discussion with him recently. Like you can either upskill one person a certain position, so which makes that person go from 90% to 100, right? Or you could change the structure, for example, right? That would mean that we improve everybody by 2%, right? That will be an, a more effective way than adding the 10% now for one person, but because it includes everybody, but only one or 2%, overall, we get a 20% rise. So, and I think this is, this is to answer your question now specifically with the segue is, is I think this is what's, what it's based on from my position as well. Can we, or is there a certain tweak to my position that would help everybody and by everybody i mean not only the department but the organization to perform at a higher level right and taking away like it's not so much what i like to do more than what is best um for for everybody right so i think in our case it could be when the transition phase um obviously building that new facility and so on bringing the academy on the same on the same um, training ground as the first team and so on. So maybe my focus needs to shift a little bit more to getting that structured, which would mean I can't spend as much time with the first team anymore. And again, this is just a maybe. I'm not saying that that's the case, but these are the things that you discuss. And in order to do that, how would the structure need to change? Okay, we're doing a lot of research with, with uh, on, on GPS data, right? Looking into a lot of that stuff. We do a lot of research um, on, on travel, and fatigue and how that affects performance and recovery and so on and so forth. So maybe in order to be more effective with that, maybe we need to get one of our, you know, data scientists to shift and more into that aspect away from tactical analysis, for example, right? I'm saying like, it's more about this. Um, and that's all based though on the overarching thing that you want to achieve on the strategy of the organization. Um, so I can't give you an answer in a concrete way but I think it will change because if it doesn't change for all of us, then you're stagnating. And our, our club, specifically our club, is founded on doing things differently. And you can always revert back, right? If you see something doesn't work, then the point is don't be afraid of acknowledging that you made a mistake. All right, then we just, you know, but at least we tried. Yeah, look, change is inevitable. And it's yeah. very interesting to be to begin to hypothesis what does that change look like, and I think as to as to how clubs embrace and discover more as to how they do things, I think that will become more and more of a competitive advantage, a unique one at that. I, um, I think it's the agile, it's the agile mindset, right? You need to make sure that that 
the people you have, right, are all open-minded and are all embracing this versus versus trying to cling on, you know, the past or and and then every change essentially means is based on fear, right? So I think I learned that in business back in the back in the days, like one of my mentors back then, and this resonates with me today still, is what would you do if you wouldn't have fear? Um, so if you can take away all the fear you have, you know, job security, um, loss of, of money, loss of, um, you know, a player, whatever it is, right? Um, what would you do then? So then just, and, and that that kind of like frees up, up your mind. And I think if you have those people there, then I think you can actually thrive and, and it becomes exponentially because it affects other people, right? Um, it's it's contagious in a certain way. Then also you, because you attract people of that same mindset um, that, that potentially have not been able to express themselves in a way um, at, in their current club or current organization or, or current environment. And so I think that's that's the beautiful thing about, about change. People are not afraid of change per se, I think. Again, thinking about the, the connection with, with fear. People are just afraid of what change means to them. Right? We change all the time. We change our toothbrush. We change our razor blades we change you know our haircuts we change the color of our hair we change our clothes so people change all the time so i i inherently believe that that's the wrong um thing we're looking at it's what does change mean to them and you that comes back now again to describing and getting people on the same page and this is our vision these are our values are you with us right and then the change is just part a natural part of it because nobody's trying to take something away changes you know is is something that that we're going through our entire lives it's it's just taking away the fear of just describing what it means and in this case for us it just means we're trying something else no no consequence the worst thing that can happen is we just go back but the best thing that can happen is hey we make progress so and, and i'm fortunate enough to have have you know people like that around me um, that that will help me to also think that way and encourage me to think that way. It's the feeling of itself getting people to see the picture clearer. <laughs> you know, so for me, that's what I'm most fascinated to see kind of interplay over the forthcoming while. But um, you know what, Max, this has been electric. It's been a good episode. Really, really enjoyed <laughs> delving deep into your own unique story today. I know there's some stuff we even left out, maybe enough for around two, but um, it's been brilliant to see your own growth, how you've made the role your own in Philadelphia, and to hear of what you believe could, in fact, look like change going forward in the future. Um, as we begin to wrap up the show, though, I always have a ritual, and that one is essentially asking yourself, for those that wish to thread a similar path to yourself, Max, what would be the one bit? of advice you'd have for them. I thought about that, obviously. Um, it's tough to break it down to one piece of advice. I think the, and that goes for 
professional as much as for personal life, I think, is that the thing that I always come back to is do stay true to yourself, right? As in, as long as you live every day and work, same thing, because living is also obviously work is a huge component of everybody's life in professional sport. Um, so I think as long as you have your set of values that, you know, you believe in and that make up your personality, um, you will find the path that is right for you, right? Um, because there is no necessarily right or wrong. Um, it's just your unique path. Um, and I think you will only discover that if you reflect each at the end of each day and go like, okay, these are my values. Have I lived like this? And I think then since when pro sports, like I said, and it, it's like 14, 15, 16 hours a day, uh, um, you know, that you're exposed to that in, in my, my position, um, you go like, yeah, I've done that. I instilled that and I had an impact. Um, and from there you go like, if you then answer the question of, oh, I didn't, is it because you didn't stay true to your values or is it because you're in the wrong environment that defines um, your next step, I guess? Are you growing in that position again or in that environment or do you have to change your environment? Um, and that's kind of like how I suppose my my path has gone as well, right? It's kind of like sometimes you you go like, I don't learn anything anymore from this. So I think it's, it's, it's you change the position Based on is there some is there something else that I can still learn here? So maybe you can you can learn something from a hardship situation, um, right? So going like okay, no, I can still learn something here. How do who are the, how do I deal with this? But if there's nothing I can learn anymore, then I need to change, right? So I think it's it's the value component, staying true to yourself, because then you can know where you are, and then is it the 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 learning capacity of and if. I don't wake up each day to learn something in my current environment, then I know I need to change. Fantastic. Max, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the show today. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate that.